Welcome to the Policy and Planner English Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Laban. This is a short episode to introduce our upcoming season, and a few things have changed. I was recording as the Director for Vermont Public Policy at Bi-State Primary Care Association. Now, I have a new role at Bi-State, managing special projects and in integrating food access as part of healthcare. If you think that sounds a lot like last season's podcast theme, you'd be right. Planning work for this position began last year with a grant from the Health Resources and Services Administration, or HRSA, and this podcast was partially funded through that grant. In fact, let's play a quick excerpt from last season's introduction to remind ourselves of the general premise. The connections between food and health, that's a giant topic. I like to think about it in a few basic categories. First is the fundamental idea that we need nourishing food in sufficient quantity every day to have any chance at good health. The amount of food available, and ease with which it's available, has an impact on both physical and mental health. And when I say nourishing food, that means what you might imagine. A relatively diverse diet that includes multiple vegetables that are not potato chips. The policies that would accomplish this big goal of setting a diet-based foundation for good health are pretty far-ranging. You need to look at whether our agricultural system produces enough healthy foods. It doesn't, by the way. And whether we should worry about environmental threats to production as our climate changes. You have to consider public transportation and affordable housing patterns, and whether the food we grow is easy for everyone to get to. Then there's the economics of what's affordable, and the question of what food we want to eat. Whether we want to eat any particular food item is complicated, so let's pause here for a moment. What we choose to eat is not just a matter of willpower. It's a matter of what flavors we're used to from our childhood, how much time we have to prepare our meals, and our skills in preparing them, our larger food environment and the messages it sends, whether we can not only afford the healthy option, but also afford to take a chance on something our kids might not like, whether you grew up in the 1990s when America inexplicably decided to replace fat with sugar. Like I said, it's complicated. When you get into complicated cultural questions like this, that's where a lot of policymakers tap out. But that's the interesting thing about food policy. People have not shied away from these complications. Rules around what size sodas you can sell. Those are designed to make soda less desirable because you have to rethink it each time you get a refill. Local food in schools. These programs aren't just about local purchasing. They engage kids in exploring new food by activities like growing gardens, taste testing recipes, and meeting farmers. This whole bucket of considerations is what I call macro food policy, from the soil to the culture. We know in a macro sense that this absolutely affects health. When you build a society where all cues point to living off of corn syrup manifested in 20 different forms and brightened with chemical dyes, you're going to have bad health outcomes. But rebuilding these systems does not fall entirely on the shoulders of healthcare. It takes many different fields of expertise to pull off the kind of change we need. A different type of food in health is the somewhat fraught area of eating particular foods for a specific health outcome, either preventing or treating a disease. A true food-as-medicine approach. There are places where the treatment link is highly specific. Patients with celiac disease eliminating gluten. Vegans eating grains fortified with B12. Sailors a few hundred years ago stocking up on lemons to avoid scurvy. There are also more broad diet modifications that can be effective for goals like controlling blood glucose levels or treating hypertension. Also, some things we don't always think about, like illnesses that affect the mechanics of chewing and swallowing that require a change in the texture of food as part of treatment. This world also swings all the way over to fad diets and outright fraud. 
Belle Gibson, a popular Australian food blogger who wrote about how to use diet to cure cancer, was recently fined half a million dollars. And this wasn't a small, dishonest part of the internet. She ran The Whole Pantry, a top-selling health app on Apple, before it was pulled. Now, Belle Gibson was a con artist, not a doctor. But we don't have to go far into popular media to find questionable claims by people who do practice medicine. It can be hard to draw the appropriate dividing lines in this section of the food is health world, especially knowing that a baseline healthy diet is required for all wellness. Generally, we can say that the commercial world errs too far on the side of attributing miracle cures to the latest superfood, and the medical world errs too far on the side of dismissing food as medicine. So we have two approaches to food and health, the macro perspective, ensuring everyone can have a sufficient and nutritious diet, and the individual perspective, using food as a prevention or treatment for a particular disease. Now, the Policy in Plainer English podcast starts with a healthcare policy perspective, which is different from agricultural policy and also different from public health policy. A very simplified example would be that agricultural policy can increase our supply of fresh vegetables and support an affordable price that works for consumers and farmers. Public health policy might help us understand how many daily vegetable servings and what variety of vegetables will support good health and how to make those vegetables more available and appealing to eat. Healthcare policy tends to focus on individual patients and their clinical outcomes. Here we might move from general dietary patterns to working with a particular patient on what diet will work best for that person to manage a chronic condition or reduce specific risk factors. In practice, there aren't such clear dividing lines. Healthcare providers work with individual patients, but they can also look across their entire patient population for trends, and then look to the broader community context for wellness, and may invest in initiatives like removing barriers to healthy food. Healthcare payers can fund both treatment for individual patients and effective prevention work guided by population-wide data. Practices might partner with local farms on projects like offering CSA shares, and healthcare professionals often offer input on food policy. The goal of articulating the different perspectives is to help them all come together to make change, not to keep them separate. This summer, Bi-State received a grant from HRSA and the Northern Border Regional Commission to continue planning around food access and healthcare, and to share examples of effective programs, including through this podcast. We're working on interviews and developing episodes for later this fall, and hope you'll tune in to listen. In the meantime, background materials from last year's work are available to browse at vtfoodandhealth.net. And of course, you can find episodes from our last season to review at our website, plainerenglish.org, or on your favorite podcast player. <laughs>